0: I'm Lisa DeLay, and you're listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Megan Mustra is in ministry in Milwaukee and the author of Born Again, Again, Jesus' Call to Radical Transformation. Welcome to Spark My Muse, Megan. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me on, Lisa. It's an honor to be here. So Spark My Views features a lot of authors and topics related to spiritual formation, and that's one of the aspects of your book that I felt would be really interesting for conversation. I'm glad we could talk about it. So like you, I was raised in a Christian home, and I didn't have a dramatic and exciting conversion story where I was saved from Debauchery and drugs and a life of crime. <laughs> my my condolences. You know the tough yeah. way to grow up is being the
1: good kid in an right. evangelical circle. So,
0: yeah, it was pretty well behaved, pastor's kid. So it was something I thought it would be interesting to talk about in terms of spiritual growth and formation within the places in Christianity. Sometimes there's almost a failure to thrive stage of development. So. I'd like to kick it off a little bit with reading from page 17 in your book. This aspect, we speak about going to a Christian college and I went home for Christmas my sophomore year. And despite all my attempts to study the right scriptures and participate in the right Christian groups, I found that I barely knew how to begin to pray. My faith in God had come to rest entirely on my Christian activities and my ability to appear to be a, quote, good Christian. Mm -hmm. For all the talk about how Christianity was, quote, not religion, but a relationship, unquote, I no longer felt any inkling of connection with God. I didn't have a secret party girl life I needed to repent of, (laughs) as the chapel speakers often entreated us to do at Wednesday morning college chapels. (laughs) I didn't have any skeletons of terrible past sins hiding in my closet. My closet was empty and my identity depleted. I had done all the right things, all the actions and disciplines that promised to bring me closer to God. But it was as if the door of salvation I had flung wide in my youth had slammed shut and I didn't have the key to get back inside. The hours of studying and blasting worship music in my dorm and my car weren't working. God, I don't even know if you're there. I barely whispered in my bedroom, in the basement of my parents' house, help. That's really familiar, I think, to a lot of people, whether they want to say it out loud or not. And maybe you can take us back to what you were thinking, why you wrote that, and some of what you're going through Mm -hmm. for that.
1: You know, I had based so much of my life and my identity around being the best Christian, right? Like, we used the little like foil star stickers on the mm-hmm. Sunday school charts when I was a kid. I don't know if you had those two or not, but like you got all your stars in a row right for perfect attendance, and then everybody could like see. but I was highly motivated by that. I was highly motivated by this like external everybody knows that you're a good Christian, everybody knows that you're doing the right thing and if everybody knows you're doing the right thing, then life should be good. It should be up and to the right. And so by the time I got to college, I had started to, uh, I guess, experience enough of life outside of that bubble um, that I was like, oh, it's it's not just guaranteed up and to the right if you do all the things. It was almost like I was sold a, a spirituality that was like a math formula. Um, And I hate math. So this may be an imperfect analogy because it's not my strong suit, but it was almost like, okay, well, if you do A, like A plus B equals C, right? Like your uh, profession of Jesus as Lord plus following all the rules equals a good life. And as I got older, and as I, you know, kind of went through college at that point, I was working at a nonprofit. Um, and I talk about that some in the book, too, of how I was working in a in an after school program with uh, students in rural Appalachia in communities that were wildly disinvested um, and really lacking some of the the basic essentials of life, things like running water and electricity and stuff like that. And so I would work with these kids and I would meet their families and. Some of them had professed Jesus as Lord and some of them were doing lots of good things and like trying to make all the right choices and their lives were so hard and things were not going up into the right and things were not improving. And they weren't like, you know, air quotes, like blessed in the way that I had learned to perceive blessing from God. Right. And so it, it sparked a lot of questions within me um that i had no answers for that i could no longer explain with the like math formula religion that i was given i was like well this doesn't make any sense and because i couldn't make sense of it in my relationships with people and families that i was working with um you know that doesn't just like stay contained or at least it didn't for me it didn't stay contained in like one little corner that i'd walled off in my in my life right it was all of a sudden like oh well, what if A plus B equals C doesn't work in this part of my life? What if it doesn't work, uh, you know, in all these other ways? And so, you know, 15 years down the line, I've learned in so many ways that like, oh, yeah, I you know the, the the formula just doesn't work. That's not real. Um, but at, at, you know, 19, 20 years old, I had a pretty limited experience Um, In a lot of ways and but I was able to see and I think that's part of why like bearing witness is important, right? Uh, Not so much in the way of you go out and you like hand people tracks on street corners, which is also something I did. But the idea of bearing witness is in like taking in the image of God in another person and the way that the spirit is at work in their life actually bearing witness to what God is doing in another person. Uh, and it disrupted what I thought that God was actually doing in the world.
0: Wow. Well, that speaks a lot to a kind of American Christian culture that, that I'm familiar with as well. It's, it's kind of miles and miles wide in terms of influencing a, a kind of subculture bubble. That mm-hmm. in influences many things like purity culture is part of that and, yep. you know, the kind of music you listen to, the kind of behaviors you have and being a good girl or good boy, which doesn't mean that it's all bad. I'm not, I'm not like mm-hmm. spitting on that or anything. Yeah, <laughs> I kind mean, it kept me out of a heck of a lot of trouble. Uh, yeah. But at, by the same token, it can be very quickly deconstructed because yeah. it's tied into the American dream. And yep. when when a terrible situation strikes, it's a version really of the prosperity gospel. That's right. And so you're like, wait a minute, I I held up my end of the bargain. Why is this happening? And right. you know, how can this like you're saying, you, you come in contact with people who are just on the losing end of life, you might say, in terms of our crooked worldview. They're saying, wait a second, mm-hmm. they're, they're believing and they're doing the best they can, and they're never going to get a leg up. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, hang on, you know, kids start to deconstruct and shift. And that's mm-hmm. a really important thing to to understand. Oh, I might have been, this theology might be a little whack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, right. And uh, that's really where the the deconstructing is really good because you there's some kind of image of God that's a little off and we're going to get built up stronger, hopefully with a better image of God. It's also not very much uh, like Jesus because Jesus mm-hmm. did suffer a lot of stuff, right? And yeah. <laughs> he did do stuff right too, but also like came under pretty horrible situations too. So it's funny how this subculture is a little – it's a little funny. It's a little works-based. Like, I don't know how else mm-hmm. to call it, right? So it's like, do everything right. Uh, and you do get a sense. Like, I was the same thing. Like, sword drill girl. I would like, you know, yes. the thing the whole thing. I was uh, all the memorizing and all that stuff. And I was trying to be the best one. And also try to get gain favor with my parents and adults. And God was also a kind of authority in the same sort of way to me, too. Oh, yeah. So it's interesting how we're forming spiritually in this way. And then we can get our legs just knocked out from under us mm-hmm. uh, when it doesn't match up anymore. And that's like, that's a natural thing. I don't think that's an unnatural thing. I think that's a natural way of, of mm-hmm. spiritually maturing. And that as people read this in your book, they're going to go, Oh my gosh, me too. You know, yeah. And it's like, well, congratulations. Good. is <laughs> <It's just> like- <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you made it to the next level that that you need to do to have a more authentic, true-to-life faith. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I do sincerely hope people read it and are like, oh my gosh, me too, because what a wonderful experience to have with a book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And also, yeah, like I think you're, you're right. It's Father Richard Rohr talks about this a lot of, you know, you have order and then mm-hmm. disorder and then reorder, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important to, you know, I I very much look back at my formative years Mm -hmm. and for all the things that uh, I, all the stories I was handed that were incomplete, I'll phrase it that way. All of the incomplete stories I was handed about God and about humanity and about what it means to be a person trying to follow the ways of Jesus in this world, they still gave me a, a place to jump off from. Uh, we either would have been really good friends, Lisa, or you would have driven me bananas because I would have <laughs> probably nemesis. Been like, right, right, right. <laughs> that Lisa DeLay is always beating me in the short drill. Um, so it would have broke real hard one way or the other. I'm very yeah.
0: confident. Um, well, you're younger than me that I think I would have babysat you. <laughs> oh,
1: So no, I think I been, everything would have been cool. eliminates that question. <laughs> yeah, and
0: we're, like I would have been your camp counselor and that would have oh, probably oh, been- yeah, then
1: you would have yeah. been my- yeah Um, exactly yeah
0: and you would have been like my (laughs) fave you'd be like my fave camper totally like piggyback rides and all my yeah totally deep
1: cuts of christian subculture right here right now Um, (laughs) but you know i that that time in my life was important and was good and i think of it in a lot of ways of of like a diving board right like Mm. i was able to spring off of that and then the part where you're up in the air right if you jumped off the diving board and you're like oh, shoot, mm-hmm. why did I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, that that kind of deconstruction moment that what Father Rourke calls the disorder. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that I had to let go of in those moments that I still have to be mindful of, right? Because it's not like I've arrived, mm-hmm. um, is that that's not the, the be-all, end-all, mm-hmm. right? I think one of the things that the kind of fundamentalism that is so much a part of so much Christian subculture one of the things that the fundamentalism teaches us is like that you can arrive, or that mm-hmm. there is a like ultimate. Yeah, uh, that's part of that like consumer piece of it too that I talk about in the book as well. Of like, mm-hmm. you can like package this down, mm-hmm. and tuck it into this little corner where it belongs. Like it can become this little puzzle piece that just like locks right in, yeah. and fixes it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we can do that with deconstruction too, where we decide that like. The questions are the thing. the questions are the ultimate. and I think we should always be asking questions, but why we ask them matters. what we're heading toward matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of where we are basing our, our hope and our trust and our, our embodiment of, of love matters. Mm-hmm. And so that the reordering and then back to disorder and you know, it, it keeps flowing.
0: We mentioned something that really struck me in terms of the kind of performance oriented thinking, too, is that deconstruction can be like the check box, like, oh, gosh, yeah, right. So it's like, okay, I did it, I I deconstructed and I, I kind of hate all those old ways. And I hate the people who tricked me or, you know, like, it's kind of this this and and i see this in evangelicalism uh mm-hmm. that is kind of like the place people tend to arrive instead of um they're known by the ex part and i understand mm-hmm. the i understand because there's there's spiritual wounding and abuse oh yeah and and these woundedness pieces that we have to get over i mean you got to see a therapist you got to get you got to get help yeah. sometimes um but to stay Uh, unhealed where you just resent where you came from instead of just take, Mm -hmm. take the gems. And maybe there's not too many, maybe there's just three (laughs) and the the rest is just sand. Right. But take, might be a shiny rock that you're trying to figure out if there's
1: anything there.
0: Right. And you polish that thing. And then, you know, maybe it's just a a shiny polished rock and not not a gem at all, (laughs) (laughs) but that, you, you do come from somewhere and that, that yeah. forms you somehow and it might have malformed you but then you you, mm-hmm. you go to the next piece but I think I, I see that I was caught here for a while too where you just kind of like oh I got another screwed up thing from this past and yeah. this person injured me and this person and I thought this about God and oh you know kind of like this this bitterness and resentment and cynicism will keep us mm-hmm. stuck like everybody you know religion is just trying to trick people and People in power are just bad, and and there's pieces of that. They're so true, but yeah. there are also these beautiful people out there. They're not as loud as the the corrupt ones, but <laughs> there's these beautiful people <laughs> out there whose lives are things of beauty and goodness, and we can learn from them too. And we can keep moving through the pain to the other side of, like you're saying, the the reorder. And it mm-hmm. can be a long, yeah. it, you know, it's going to be a lifelong process, I believe. But that. I hope that people who consider themselves ex-evangelical or even ex-Christians can move past and through the pain and and experience all the feelings and everything. But yeah. then get to a place of peace with themselves, peace with God, peace with their past, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think
1: that you know it it does lead us in so many directions. and uh, the uh, sandy parts so to speak, of, of my story are not as severe as, mm-hmm. as some stories that I've heard. And so yeah. I, yeah, I, I kind of bless wherever people end up on mm-hmm. on their journey. And if that carries them out of faith, if that, you know, carries them into different places, you know, that's, I trust all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that I had somebody early on when I was deconstructing at a pastor uh, who I was working with at the time, um, I was on staff at a church while I was deconstructing, which is a heck of a way to do it. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he <laughs> looked at me at one point when I had been kind of just like in this angsty rail on everything moment. And he was just like, yeah, but what are you for? Like, mm-hmm. can you phrase what you're saying in the positive? And that really stuck with me in a lot of ways to to kind of say like, okay, I can be really angry about things and I don't think that there's anything wrong with anger at all. Uh, You know, the Psalms say like, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say that anger is a sin. But I think that if we become so enamored with trying to burn down the things that need to be burned down, and they need to be burned down. Mm -hmm. And we don't also have some idea of what we would like to rise from the ashes, what kind of Uh, world we want to build in in the wake Mm. uh, then we're still just being more animated by the thing that we're trying to rid ourselves of than anything else and that's i think a dangerous place to be in i don't want to be animated by the harm that evangelicalism has caused Mm. Uh, i want to be animated by the love of god Mm uh and and what i think is a more beautiful and and holy kingdom that that god is trying to unfold in the world
0: That's beautiful. On page 23, you let readers know that you've invited friends to contribute within the pages of your book. Can you talk a little bit about some of the perspectives that are in the book and what they add that your own story can't add? Sure. Yeah. So I also in that I think that might be the page. I don't
1: have that one open at the moment, Um, but that might be the page where I also quote Moana the most wonderful movie of all time. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the the people who, lo- the people you love will change you. Mm. Uh, and mm. when I watched that movie with my daughter, who I think was like five at the time, I don't know, she was young enough that she was pretty much just like, mom, why are you crying so oh. hard? And I oh, was that's like, so sweet. because it's the gospel. <laughs> um, and so, uh this idea, right. Of like the people you love will change you. And, and kind of viewing my walk with the Lord as not just like, Oh, it's just me and Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is the faith that we are given when you grow up the way we did. Yeah. Um, it's like it's right. just G- you and Jesus and Jesus is in your heart. Mm-hmm. And maybe you get people around you as like your accountability partners. <laughs> um, yeah, Maybe you get like people in your small group who, you know, tell you like, Hey, did you memorize that verse yet for this week? Mm -hmm. But the idea of like mutual formation that because I am following Jesus and you are also following Jesus and we're trying to do this together, we've covenanted together in some way, whether that's through a church community or maybe we live in the same neighborhood or whatever, um, that, that I am changed because of the Christ in you. Like, I am changed because going back to that, uh, that idea of the image of God that we have, right? And yeah. the, that so many of us end up with a very limited image of God, mm. because of how we grew up, and we get yeah. the perspective, like you're saying earlier, of like the adults in the church, uh, usually, specifically, it is the men
0: in the church. <laughs> right. um, and, and they're, and they might be white men. You know, yeah, they they're, might...
1: they're, they're probably white men. <laughs> I am inclined to believe that they're probably white men who are cisgender and heterosexual and married and right, probably right. middle class and well-educated. And so uh, mm-hmm. when you think about it, that's a really tiny, puny little idol.
0: It's very and narrow.
1: If, <laughs> it's very narrow. And if we're saying that every human being yeah. bears the image of God, mm-hmm. every human being, uh, then... We need a much more expansive view of God. And so I invited friends um, who are from different racial and ethnic backgrounds than I am. Uh, I, I am a white woman just to own my space here. <laughs> like I am a white, cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied, married woman who's a mother. I check all the privilege boxes except for that I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I invited friends who are... Uh, from different racial, ethnic backgrounds. I invited um, friends who identify as LGBTQ. Um, I invited friends who grew up in different um, like backgrounds or different like, uh, geographic areas. I invited friends who are single um, I, and just said like, hey, there's ways that I do not understand what it is like to follow Jesus because I have only my experience Mm -hmm. and I have learned so much from you and from walking alongside you and listening to you. And instead of me telling what I have learned from you, I want you to just tell my readers how you follow Jesus. So much of the, the way that the chapters are structured is around this idea of like unlearning and returning. And so that's kind of the the prompt I gave to my friends was Mm -hmm. to say like, what does it look like to unlearn patterns of this world and return to Christ for you Mm -hmm. from your social location and your position and uh, let people kind of say that for themselves, because I I could tell that story. Like I could say, here's what I've learned from this person, Mm -hmm. but that is fundamentally like short circuiting the whole process, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, The way that I have been transformed by this person is because of them living their life and their story. And so I wanted to invite that in my book for my readers to say like, here, encounter my friend. Mm -hmm. And how might you see God more clearly because of their witness? How might you be transformed by by bearing witness Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to their life and the ways that they're following Jesus?
0: Right. And we also have to be good listeners, be on the lookout for people who don't look like us and don't have lives like us and purposefully start listening. Because I think that we don't always feel comfortable around people who are not like us Mm -hmm. and therefore we won't listen. So we have to actually go against what might be comfortable sometimes and say, I I don't understand what it's like to be you. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell me I'm listening and just start shutting up and listening and I think that that's why it's good to have the actual words not our interpretation of the words yeah
1: yeah yeah I've started to learn to feel that uh that you know unsettledness Mm -hmm. and be like oh here's an opportunity to get curious Mm -hmm. and what if I chose to be curious instead of afraid yeah. What if I chose to be curious instead of closed? What if I chose to be curious and open to the ways that the Holy Spirit is working in this person and through their life instead of saying this doesn't fit within my experience of how the Holy Spirit works in my life? So therefore it's invalid. Mm-hmm. And I think that like my gosh, Lisa, like how different would the church and would our world look if we if we could just start to ask that? Yeah. But like this has not been my experience. Yeah. So I should be curious and not afraid.
0: You're right. Curiosity and fear don't tend to occupy the same space because curiosity mm-hmm. opens us up to investigation and yeah. possibility. And and so fear cl- shuts us down into this tiny little place where we have our guard up and we feel threatened. Mm-hmm. And curiosity says I wonder, you know, what What's something new? Maybe something new could happen, or maybe something I could learn something, maybe. Or what's going on here? You know, so it really switches to a growth mindset instead of this finite, you know, fight or flight instinct Mm -hmm. that we have. And you can just go into like, I wonder, I I wonder what that experience is like. I wonder, you know, because the first thing we're living in a time of great fear. And mm-hmm. people are literally, it's literally fight or flight in the streets. Yeah. And nobody is the least bit curious. You know, people are just, yeah. you know, terrified sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it is really interesting if we can take, just take pause and say, what am I feeling right now? Is it fear? Could it be curiosity? Yeah. Could I just for a second wonder? Mm-hmm. Um, about this other person and wonder if there's something I don't understand that I could inquire about. And just sometimes just the tiniest space could create an opportunity for connection or growth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that fear can even still be present. Mm. Elizabeth Gilbert writes in Big Magic about like fear has to ride in the backseat, mm. right? Like fear is, is usually going to be in the car. Uh, for so many of us, we can't just kick fear out of the car altogether. But, uh, you know, what she writes in big magic is that fear doesn't get to sit in the front seat and it doesn't get to touch the radio, um, which is just such a funny and a helpful mental picture. And, and I think of how many things in my life, you know, sometimes that curiosity is hand in hand with fear. Uh, sometimes when I have chosen to uh, to stay open or to ask questions or to mm-hmm. be curious, I- I'm still afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But fear has been like, okay, cool. Here's a bag of fruit snacks and you have to stay in the back seat. Like, please don't ask me when we're going to get there. Like, no more mm-hmm. are we there yet. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, fear. You can play your Game Boy for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> just chill out. Just hang on. Hang on. We're yeah. gonna be okay. I appreciate you.
0: And also, <laughs> now is not the time. Uh, it's so it's too primitive to control everything. You can't yeah. you can't let it take over. It's just too it's just too primitive of an emotion to run everything all the time. Yes. So um on page twenty six, I love that you introduced the idea of consumption over connection and the this theme plays out in different ways throughout the book uh in different chapters and i don't expect you to go through every different iteration (laughs) of it obviously we only have so much time but for readers who are people who are going to buy your book people who are going to be reading it maybe you can lay out a little bit of what you're up to
1: yeah so I kind of observed through my own life and then, you know, as I was reading and working on this project uh, that there's, there's this thing that never gets challenged Mm. when we are talking about Christian discipleship and it kind of goes for whether we're talking about like conservative evangelical spaces or if you're in more progressive spaces, it doesn't always get challenged there either. And it's this idea that like Jesus is supposed to make your life better that he is, uh, that Jesus is for you and not just like for you, like an advocate, which is a very biblical idea, but like for you um, so that your life can be enhanced. Mm. And then so many other things then become predicated around that. Uh, mm. You know, we were talking some before we started recording about uh, college ministries and campus ministries and, Um, you know, going out and do and witnessing, or, you know, if I go on a mission trip, is that really for, for the people that I'm serving and for their, their benefit? Or is that for me so that I feel like I'm a good person, Mm -hmm. like I did the right thing. And so often these are questions we are uncomfortable with, uh, because, at the, at the heart of it all is not this like desire to connect with God and with our neighbor and with our strain, the strangers around us, with our enemies. Uh, So often it's not a desire to connect. It's a desire for people to function in a way that, that we can consume them in some way. Hmm. Um, So that, you know, I, I think about even the verbiage we use, like I'm going to get married um and things like that right like it's just Mm -hmm. like oh like I I have I'm entitled to a spouse and I'm entitled to um a a child or I'm entitled to right there's this like sense of going back to that formula of, of religion that we're handed that it's like well yes if I do this and do this and do this then this thing happens and not just that like that's the natural outflow, but like, well, yeah, that's what Jesus does for me.
0: Hmm.
1: And so, uh, you know, the the framework is based broadly or loosely or was sparked. It was my muse, Lisa, uh, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Carrie Day wrote a book, Religious Resistance to Neoliberalism, and it sparked my muse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy.
1: <laughs> she talks about that in her book of the, the thing that is under, underpinning so much of this is consumption Mm -hmm. and the idea that other people and God exist for our benefit and Mm -hmm. can be consumed and disregarded without much thought to what the implications of that are, which is Mm -hmm. antithetical to like the greatest commandment and things like that. Um, You cannot love people if you're trying to consume them in some way. Uh, But so often the question isn't how are you imaging God to me and how can I be transformed by you and you be transformed by me, right? That mutual transformation Mm -hmm. aspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, So often the question is what can you do for me Mm. or how do I feel better when I'm around you? Wow. Uh, So often, you know, and we would never say that part out loud. We would never talk about that and be like, well, you know what? Thank you for uh, doing this thing for me. And I'm so glad that we're friends because you do this thing for me. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're friends. But Mm -hmm. so many of us, that's what's humming underneath the surface of our relationships, because opening ourselves to both bear witness to the God in, in someone else and to be seen in in the ways that the spirit is working in and through us, the way that we are imaging God, it's vulnerable as heck Mm -hmm. and is not comfortable and means that we are changing our opinions about things, changing our minds about things, that things are going to be confronted. There's going to be conflict. um, And it's not always going to feel
0: good, Mm. but it is good. You know that reminds me. What you're saying really reminds me that there's a cost, like the cost of discipleship, the cost of something. Yeah. When Jesus talks about taking up your cross. Right? Is is? It sounds like it's it's totally un-American. You take up your cross is like a you know a death sentence, and you you <laughs> you take it up and then you go and die. And when we're yeah. supposed to be taking yeah. each other's taking each other's burdens, that means it's going to cost something. When you take somebody else's burden, that means you're going to suffer. And I'm not trying to paint this horrible picture, but you're right. We do tend to, as consumers, it's about accumulation. It's about transactions. Yeah. It tends to be, even when we're the nicest people around, we can think mm-hmm. about transactions and reciprocation. Like I, even Stevens, yes. right? So mm-hmm. I hope I, I hope this is really even Stevens here, kind of thing. Right. And and we're just that's the default setting. But that's really mm-hmm. not what Jesus ever asks of us. Jesus mm-hmm. asked, come and die. And that is not even, <laughs> that's, it's that's, not even. that's like you lose. <laughs> not to say we should, we should go about getting abused by other people, but I just mean that it is antithetical to the consumer mindset. The Christian mindset is actually antithetical to it. If we think about other people as commodities, as objects, mm-hmm. we can't really love them. We can't really connect to right. them because they're immediately dehumanized. That's right.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that it's so sinister and it's so tricky in Christian Mm -hmm. circles because we can even turn that come and die, bear Mm -hmm. one another's burdens into Mm -hmm. its own kind of consumer good. Like, I will be the best servant ever. And I think this is, you know, especially prominent in, you know, I think of like a lot of like women's ministry kind of settings or like Sarah, who just has served in nursery for the last 35 years and she right. never takes a week off and she mm-hmm. takes all the mom's casseroles when they have a new baby and things yeah. like that. Right. And right. we can almost turn that, you know, Oh, I'm just taking up my cross. Right. Right. Following daily, we can turn right. that into its own kind of like consumer good that it's like, that becomes like the basis of our identity, not Christ loyalty toward our own suffering becomes Lord, not Jesus. And I think often about uh, Dr. Cherith V. Nordling, who is a professor of mine. She was one of the people who endorsed the book. She would talk in theology lectures about how like we get our lives back when we get saved so that we can lay them down for someone else. Mm. But first you have to get your life back so that you know like exactly what it is you're laying down you know that spoke to me in in such powerful ways particularly as a woman who came up in church where I was taught to be so small mm. and to have such like fuzzy definitions of self yeah um that I I wouldn't have realized I was getting my life back if it bit me you know <laughs> I would be like whoa who is yeah. this yeah me okay <laughs>
0: that yeah, that brings me right to page one thirty-four. You you start to talk to the readers about your own marriage and the birth of your own daughter and thinking differently about expectations for women. In conservatism, evangelical conservatism, or if you will, yeah. I don't I don't know exactly what that frames. <laughs> for each person they might think something different sure. with that. But I know that women in my in my experience, women are supposed to have these subordinate Serving roles where men are in charge and there's a hierarchy, and Mm -hmm. you know it from the beginning, and you know your place. You're reminded of your place quite often, even through subtle jokes or ridicule, things like that. And you and I experienced, I'm sure, not quite the same, we're maybe just a little generationally a little different, but it's the same kind of thing as like, wow, what do I want for my child? Yeah. Rethinking yourself as a human once you're married and thinking, am I human? Do I get full mm-hmm. credits as a human yeah. here? So talk a little bit about some of your insights that you came to as as a wife and a mom. Yeah. So
1: uh, by the ripe old age of 24, I had achieved everything I was supposed to do in life <laughs> as a Christian woman. Right. I got married and I had had a child and then realizing that you know, the, the child that I had born was, it was a girl and being so, so resolute, so resolute that I would not give her the story I was given. I had no idea what story I was going to give her. Uh, but just like, I will be damned if she gets the same story. Right. Cause I was like, no, you're not going to get that. And so, and then there was some just like, Cosmic, you know, the stars aligning, the spirit working kind of stuff. The year my daughter was born was the year that Rachel Held Evans wrote A Year of Biblical Womanhood. Um, And so I was following along with Rachel's blog um, as she was doing all of the like uh, different, you know, growing her hair out and sitting on the corner of her roof and all of the like things she did in that writing project. And so I, I kind of, fell along in line with her and she was so formative for me. And then half the sky, the documentary came out on PBS. We don't even have cable, but I could watch things on PBS. (laughs) And so I was like, you know, nursing my newborn and watching Nick Kristoff and Cheryl Wu Dunn's documentary and learning about how like, Oh, like it's not just that the story I was handed about women is incomplete and not helpful. It's that we're telling this big global story about women that is incomplete and not helpful. And um, and that's how I became a feminist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there we have it. And there we have it. One of the things that emerges as a, a kind of connecting theme throughout the whole book is it is a, a story of spiritually maturing and maturing as a person, of course, too. But it's kind of a collection of of different themes of that, which is Mm -hmm. hopefully what a person does. Right. Like You you don't want to stay the same. Right. If you're the same person that you were five years ago or 10 years ago, obviously there'd be a problem. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a chronicle of that in different aspects and from different voices so that people can see that has been me, or I feel like that right now, yeah. or, or whatever the case is, is that this is part of what it means to be a human, mm-hmm. to, to grow and to, to have a spiritual journey at all means that some of these things are going to be part of your story and that that's normal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm real big on normalizing humanity. <laughs> be real great. But like, right. let's just all remember we're all human.
0: So you're going to get sent some bad messages as a kid and or as a teenager about maybe your role in the world or your body or what your gifts are or aren't you're gonna get some bad images of who god is or isn't and you continue to learn and gather information and learn from other people and you continue to grow and that's that is the kind of formation story of our lives and then as we look back 10 years you'll be 10 years removed from this and you'll look back and you'll go, I was just a kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, (laughs) That's part of it. Maybe you could read the last two paragraphs on page 156. I thought this was such a neat encapsulation of what you're up to in the book. And I thought it would be a gift to listeners if they could hear it. Yeah,
1: for sure. Salvation is a way of being with God, yourself, your neighbor, and the world around you. And that means the ways of being extended to us in salvation move and flow and change. Salvation breaks and multiplies like bread. It pours out and splashes and leaves the places where it was stained like wine. The antidote to the consumerism plaguing our view of salvation is a commitment to both maintain our particularities as the gifts from God that they are and Simultaneously commit to a posture of self-giving love. The opposite of consumption is connection. Bread broken and passed from hand to hand. A cup poured out for me and for you and for them
0: too. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Megan. Yeah. Where can people find you, your book and your work and get to know a little more about you? Sure. So I am on Twitter and on Instagram
1: at M Westra, M-K-E. My last name is like the direction and then like you're cheering like Westra. Um, It's W-E-S-T-R-A. So uh, M Westra, M-K-E is my handle on both Twitter and Instagram. I am on Facebook, reluctantly, uh, also Megan Westra. And then my website is meganwestra.com, and people can find links to the book. They can find links to my podcast, The Podlock.
0: Tell people what your podcast is about.
1: Yeah, so The Podlock is about creating a auditory space for uh essentially like the equivalent of a church potluck for ideas Um, so everybody gets to come they get to bring their best or what they were you know the the recipe that they inherited and then offer it up and so the very first season we all kind of centered around one question I had 10 different guests and we all answered Mm. the same question um, Mm -hmm. which was really interesting and then when the pandemic started, I was like, "Oh, we'll just throw like a corona kegger, and uh, I'll just throw it wide open and ask people to talk about what they want to talk about." It's been mm-hmm. really cool, uh, but very, mm-hmm. very broad ranging. And then uh, we'll see, we'll see what comes next. I would like to kind of get back to the one question, and we all center on mm-hmm. that. But uh, I'm holding it loosely. We'll, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Thank you
0: for sharing your time with me. Yeah,
1: thanks so much for having me on. This is great.